Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM, FM Riverside and one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. It must be a Wicket Wednesday because you got Wicket Michael Hawley here in the room. That is correct. How you doing, Al? <laughs> well, you know I'm. Still fighting the good fight, whatever that is. Anyway, and, and so we've got, we, we've got an author here, and we've got a book. And this one is, certainly covers someone like me. You know, it's called Burying the Newspaper Man. That's <laughs> something that you do to me. It's a gritty tale of fear and redemption. And, of course, the author is with us, Curtis Epolito. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Alan. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Michael. Nice to, see, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Always good to talk to people that are writing and stuff. How do you, so this is your debut novel. So how, how did you get into this, you know, unforgiving, awful world of writing? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think like a lot of people, I grew up uh, reading a lot, uh, loved books as a kid. Um, when I was, you know, a kid, I, I read a lot of the classics. Being a male, I was drawn to the adventure type genres, so like Call of the Wild and Swiss Family Robinson, books like that. As I got older, I had several people in my life that were into horror, so I read books like Jaws and Misery and The Shining at a really young oh, age. Oh, boy, The Shining, wow. <laughs> probably, too, probably younger than, I sh- probably than you want a kid to read those books, but I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I just always loved uh, books. And uh, when I went to college, I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know how to do that. And so I thought the easiest way to get into 
an industry where I could write full time was to be a reporter. And so I went to school for journalism uh, with an emphasis on uh, news writing. And I uh, went to the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, which has a really great journalism school. And uh, just kind of fell in love with journalism. And uh, it did not thrust me into the world of fiction writing like I thought maybe it would. But it did teach me a lot of things that now, you know, all these years later when I got back into fiction writing, taught me a lot. You know, things like writing under deadline and being succinct and clear in your writing, being able to focus on the people in your story, you know, because that's a large part of writing features and uh journalism are the people at the center of the story. So it did teach me a lot. And um, I was not in the newspaper business very long. Uh, I got laid off in 2008 along with like the rest of the country <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. kind of took some odd jobs here and there for several years and then got back into uh, writing for a pediatric hospital and I wrote features for them. And uh, long story short, found my way from Dallas Texas to San Diego, and it was just uh, probably uh, almost five years ago now. I switched jobs, and it was just exactly what I needed for my creativity. I found, like, uh, the job I was in was just so demanding that I had no time for creative output. And once I changed jobs, my creativity just was unlocked, and all these ideas to uh, write things came flooding back in, and I decided to uh, go on a ride-along with a uh, police officer in Ocean Beach here in San Diego and did that over a night one night, and that's what gave me the idea for my book. Why is your character a cop? Like, why, is there a particular reason to that? Like, why, why choose this? And you did the ride-along, and that kind of influenced the, the idea, obviously, but is there any reason behind that? Uh, yeah, uh, so... Like you, like I said, uh, I did that ride along, and there was a critical point in the ride along where we were driving along uh, the ocean, and uh, this officer I was with, he really made it a point to look for stolen cars. He just loved to recover stolen cars. So, as we're driving along, you know, he's clicking into the computer license plate numbers to see if they're stolen, and he hit on one. And this alarm went off inside the cruiser, and he pulled over, and he's like, all right, you can get outside the car, but you got to stay by the car and observe. And I was just glued. I was just, you know, mesmerized by watching him uh, approach this stolen car and, and kind of clear the scene. And, uh, you know, he's checking the doors, and uh, then he goes to pop the trunk, and I just got this thought of, what if there was a dead body in that trunk of that car? And uh, there wasn't, but it just got me to think, you know, what if there was, and then what if that body meant something personally to that person recovering it? And in this case, a police officer. And so when I started developing this idea, I knew that the main character would be a police officer because one, I had that experience and it was very easy to kind of uh, translate that. But, but two, I thought, if someone was going to find a dead body in the trunk of a car and it, it was some, someone from their past and they wanted to find out who the killer was, there's not many people with normal jobs from normal walks of life that could do that investigation. 
Uh, whereas a police officer, though not maybe a detective like you see in, in standard PI fiction or standard, uh, you know, police fiction, he would have the tools at his disposal to do that investigation. Maybe, maybe explain to the listeners kind of what the, um, basic premise of the book is because i think it's a little bit different than the typical story from what i've been reading or been around the last few years for sure so uh bearing the newspaper man is about a police officer marcus kemp who patrols ocean beach uh here in san diego and one day while on patrol he discovers a dead body in the trunk of the stolen car and it so happens that this dead body is the man who abused him as a child and so Marcus sets off to find the killer, not to bring them to justice, but to help them get away with murder. Now, see, that's that's an interesting concept because first of all, you're uh, you're you're dealing with you know child abuse, and then getting away with murder, kind of helping someone get off on killing someone that's done something wrong. Wow, that's a that's kind of that can go real deep and be real touchy in the public. Why that direction? Do you do you, do you understand why you wrote that kind of a book? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Yeah, you know, um, I think at first I just had the simple idea of, you know, like I, t- I, like I said, like uh, if somebody found someone dead that uh, caused them pain in the past, what they would do. And then from that decision uh, to the next, it, it just became the case where, well, if someone wants to help a killer get away with murder, there has to be a really good reason. And, you know, as I explored this character and that's where I, I landed was, you know, with um, this, this horrible past that Marcus endures. And, you know, when I was first writing it, I thought, you know, it would be a story about revenge or about, uh, you know, justice. And the more that I wrote and ev- and then when I got done writing it, it really dawned on me that what I was really writing was a story about someone trying to overcome their darkest moment in life and try to get past that trauma. So really the book is an exercise of Marcus trying to come to terms with his past and trying to bury that trauma once and for all, which he thought he had. So therapeutic in a way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's think he's seeking, uh, you know, closure and he's, he thought he had it because he had buried his past and, and just kind of what he thought was forget about it. But then it's all pushed back into his, Impressed it. literally into his face and he has to, you know, uh, uh, acknowledge it and and try to solve that once and for all. Your main character, Marcus Kemp, who is he to you? Like, how do how what kind of relationship do you think you have with that character? I think Marcus is a guy that is uh, really well-meaning. He's uh, an introvert, but he he cares for people. Um, but I think there, um, I think he's a guy that you would enjoy having a beer with or going surfing with or something along those lines. Uh, I think he's a real well-meaning person. And and do you hear him? Do you see him? Do you feel him? Like what, like what's your relationship like with someone like your main character? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny when I was writing the book, uh, I'd say probably the first half, I just really felt horrible for him, you know, the things I was putting him through. And then, uh, in the middle and towards the end of the book is some of the decisions he's making. I'm like, I'm kind of sick of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think at the end, um, and even now, uh, three years after the book's been published, I, I just, uh, I, I still love that character and I, I still love him. And, you know, I, I, I do think every now and then, like, I wonder what he's up to. And, you know, everything that I put in the book is, as factual as I can get it to San Diego and the area and everything. So when I drive past somewhere that I had him be or, you know, a pivotal scene, I think, hmm, wonder what Marcus is up to these days. Well, I lived in the Cor- Coronado for a while when I was oh, in yeah. flight school. So did, did he, did no, he, go he to Coronado? no, he didn't get over to Coronado in the book, but I do have another book that I wrote uh, 
set at the Dell. So I'll have to send that to you. Sweet. Bernardo, <laughs> yeah. no, wait, but you were in there like, what was that, 1950? 1986, <laughs> and I'm only 22. <laughs> <laughs> See, what happened is when I was about 45, I started counting back. So I'm about 22 now, I think. That's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the body doesn't listen, believe me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> yeah. true. When you when you write a story like this, it's put together well. You're you're thinking about things and all that. Do, do you have kind of a a subtext or a meaning, or was there something you wanted a reader to to take away from the book besides the entertainment part of it? No, um, like I said, I think I started out thinking I was going to be talking about revenge, and then in the end, it, it really was about overcoming trauma. And so um, I think that that informed a lot of my uh, rewrite and the edits when I went back through that process was just making sure that the voice was empathetic so that readers could get a sense that this character is deeply flawed and he's deeply damaged, but he's trying his best and he's doing what he think is, thinks is best for himself and for his loved ones. And, and so that was as far as I thought. Uh, as far as theme or anything for readers to pick up on, I just wanted them to feel as empathetic for Marcus and his plight as I did. How do you get into the mindset of the abuse and that to where it sounds, where you can write it, where it sounds uh, authentic? Yeah, that's a, that is a tricky thing. And, you know, I don't pretend to have experienced the same trauma that uh, Marcus did uh, by any means. But, you know, I think all of us experience trauma on varying levels and, you know, just kind of, you know, thinking how you feel about those events and how you process them yourself. And, and really it is just thinking through empathetically about that and so that you can do the best job that you can to uh, honor a character when you're writing about those traumatic things. I think it is very important. And and your setting. Now, you, you said it was important. So or do you write your setting as if it's a character, too? I don't think I do on purpose, but I think that's just the way it comes out. Um, I've lived here in San Diego now for 10 years, and I just absolutely love it. And I wish I would have been born and raised here, but I wasn't, so i got a lot of catching up to do. But I think that that's my love for it comes out on the page. Uh, naturally, and I do love writing, uh, like setting and description. So, so I do have to reel that in sometimes. But uh, you know, even as great as San Diego is, we do have our our social problems, our different you know issues, like every other American city. So I, I'm cognizant of that, and then I try to you know address those bigger issues as well. And so I'm just not like writing some fairy tale about. A tropical paradise. Well, I do remember living there, and my apartment had neither a heater nor an air conditioner <laughs> because the weather was great all year round. Yeah, and it just amazed me. And I'm from Buffalo, so we have a huge heater, <laughs> <laughs> and it's still not hot enough because he's getting old, you know, and the circulation goes. And, it's know. 22, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 22. <laughs> Last century, he was 22. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and, and, and the point is, the whole the whole concept is interesting. Do you think you're going to bring back Marcus as a, as a character again? Then, because you still think of of him, and you still kind of have 
memories uh, of him that are, I guess, fond in a way? I'll never say never. Uh, I don't have any uh, immediate plans. Um, I was working on an idea for a novel, and uh, the way it worked out, there wasn't. There is an opportunity to bring him in as just kind of uh, an homage and put him on the page for a, in a scene. So I may still do that if I can get that story uh, wrangled and under control. So still under San Diego kind of background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does he have a a person uh, that he communicates with and kind of like that therapeutic thing? Does he talk with and speak with? Lets them know what he what he is experiencing. No, you know, he's a very much a lone wolf and, uh, you know, he has friends and he has a, an on again, off again girlfriend and he has a mother. And I think that's one of the things, uh, what I was saying earlier where I was like sick of him was, yeah, he, he would not open up to those people and really just tried to take all this on himself. Don't blame him. I met his mother. <laughs> so, and when you're writing the violence or the action, maybe, let's say, depending on, on the scene, mm -hmm. are you conscious about how you write it? Are you thinking about the reader as you write it? Sure. I'm not a, a huge violence uh, on the page guy. Um, you know, certain scenes you have to have it because you're writing crime. But yeah, definitely, you know, I'm when I'm writing it, I think the main thing that I try to do is is the violence uh, I'm putting on the page necessary for the scene, for the characters, for the reader to understand what's going on. And I, I really do think less is more uh, in a lot of cases. You know, I'm also a fan of writing violence off the page and exploring more of how the characters deal with the consequences of that violence. Right. And it, 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 so more let, let the imagination run mm -hmm. on some of the violence rather than describe it detail. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that's good, too. I mean, I mean, some people do it. Some people can do it really well. And bad characters, evil people, the ones that do the bad things. Um, like, you know, Marcus obviously has issues, but when you write a bad character, do you, do you enjoy that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I enjoy it. Like violence, you have to get it right so you don't make that villain a cartoon character or make him, you know, a cardboard character. You, you do have to flesh them out, you know, because as the old saying goes, you know, the villain is the protagonist in their own stories. So they have a backstory. They have, you know, hopes and dreams. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, in the types of stories we're telling that, those hopes and dreams are, are twisted, and then you kind of have to explore, well, why did they get twisted? So I wouldn't say it's enjoyable, but, yeah, I, you just have to do it right. Well, a lot of times it's just describing, because a lot of times your bad character, I think that in their mind they're doing something good. They're, they're being the good person or they're doing something right or they're accomplishing something, and it's describing mm -hmm. that to the reader so they understand why. That person feels this way. I think that's. I think that's the key to it. Yeah. You know, in a bit, good bad character. You know, when you started the book and you had the idea and you thought you're thinking of the dead body, back from the initial concept, like you know, wouldn't that wonder what that would be like? And there was no dead body. But when you were starting that thought and you started putting the book together, and and now years later and it's published and it's out there, did it? turn out the way you pictured it at the beginning? 
I think more or less it did. Yeah, yeah, I I think it did. With the uh, the exception that you said that initially you were thinking about a revenge kind of thing right. switched. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. How do you think this whole process has changed you? You know, first book, you, you go through all the experience and getting it out there and doing it and writing it and and the good reviews, the bad reviews, you know, dealing with radio people, like all that stuff. At the end of it, how do you think it's, this process has changed you? Yeah, it's definitely changed me. I'd say when I started writing the book, I had no expectations. I just had this story and I thought, if I don't write this, then I'm a fool and I'm wasting my potential and I, I, I need to write this. And as I was, you know, got past, you know, 25,000 words and then, you know, 30,000 words and it's growing and looking like it is becoming a book, I'm like, well, if I do finish this, what do I do with it? And my basic thought was, at the very least, I can self-publish it because those opportunities are plentiful now. And so when I got it, when a publisher bought it and published it, that was just so uh, mind-blowing for me. And then it really just set me off on this path of of confidence and wanting to grow my art and to improve and to where now I have a second book written and I'm querying agents. And, you know, my I was thinking about this today when I was taking a walk is just like how I've put these expectations on myself to get an agent and to get a book published at a, at a bigger publisher. And, you know, five years ago I wasn't doing anything. So it's just, uh, it has changed me and I want to be, uh, an author that is doing this, you know, maybe not full time because those authors that can do that, it's few and far between, but, you know, I think writing novels is always going to be something I want to do from now on. You have beta readers? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh, I'm actually in a group uh, with three other people. We share our work with each other, three other really oh. strong writers. Stephen King, who else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack Carr, you got all these guys there. Yeah. Well, yeah, my first beta reader is my wife. She takes uh, a lot of pride in reading my short stories and my novels first like i'll send it to her first and she like gets right on it she wants to read it before any of my other friends or beta readers do well so. if she's like my wife she's dead honest <laughs> to the point of making me cry <laughs> <laughs> my wife is honest but she's not she's not mean at all but yeah she's given me a lot of great uh insights especially when writing women or oh yeah, yeah. You know, different different things that i'm not as you know, strong on. Yeah. Well, you need that. You need that input. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah otherwise, you're good. You know, your character will be. It'll fall short because it's not something you are, or you can't really relate to as easily as someone. So it's good to have that. Yeah. Absolutely. It, you know, that's it's really good uh, to have that. And so, so what's been the hardest thing for you, uh, being a new writer and getting into it? What's been the hardest thing so far uh, to get through, in your opinion? If for me, it's been waiting. You just wait and wait and wait at every step of the turn. And I'm a naturally impatient person. And so yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that's really tough for me. You know, you gotta, you know, you finish something and you revise it and then you send it off and you wait months and months and months to hear anything. And then if, even if it gets accepted, you wait months and months and months. Here's a great example. I wrote a story in December, 
2021, uh, a short story and sent it off to some friends and, uh, some beta readers and got good notes, revised it and submitted it to uh, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. And uh, I waited and waited and I actually wasn't waiting on them because I thought it was going to be a surefire rejection. And four months later, they accepted it and I was just elated. And then I waited a good year for it to finally publish. And that was an excruciating wait. So I, I finished the story December 2021 and it published September of 2023. Right. Yeah. So it's just a small, just like this business is just all about waiting. It's not unusual. And even when sometimes when you sign with a publisher too, like that, that's just kind of how it is. They've got everything yeah. set and planned and laid out and it's coming out and in 15 months type thing. And you're like, wow, right. you know, yeah, that, that is an unusual thing to get to get into and and so what's your favorite part of writing i'd say just the actual writing like when i'm in a groove and i'm getting down a thousand words a day or you know uh get a really great scene written like there's no greater high for me like that's what i was born to do so you know when i'm when i'm in the groove writing i'm just that i, I wish i could stay locked in that moment forever you know so no nonfiction for you then uh, no, not since my newspaper days, no. How do you do research for police procedurals or things like that or kind of getting into the mind of a, of a cop other than the ride-along, or did you do more ride-alongs? Uh, I did interviews. So just like any good reporter, you just do your interviews and you establish some sources. And I took a couple different cops out for coffee and just kind of uh, asked them all these different questions and scenarios and is this plausible? Is this plausible? So, yeah, there's really just a lot of interviewing. In the world today, especially in America, the last while, um, cops and media, journalism, has been kind of under pressure and kind of bad mouth under attack, kind of in a negative light for a lot of a lot of the country. Feel that it's different, that, that it deserves that kind of reputation, or what's your feeling on that whole thing? I wouldn't characterize it as uh, bad-mouthing or negativity towards the police. I would I would characterize it as there is a greater scrutiny of their actions right now more than ever, and I think deservingly so. Um, you know, coming from a journalism background, the whole point of journalism is to hold power accountable. And I think that's what our country uh, has been doing with police these last few years is holding that power accountable. And there's really in our country no greater power than what police forces have. And so I think that that is just and right. Just like any position of power, uh, if you do bad things, you should be held accountable. Hence the title, Burying the Newspaper Man. Yeah, where did the <laughs> title come from? Like, what was the idea behind that? Yeah, so it's kind of uh, a play on words is, you know, Marcus trying to bury his past once and for all. And uh, that past is this, it, the, the person who abused him was a newspaper editor. Now, you, you're talking about doing another book. What, so what's up for you now? What do you, what do you got going on? Yeah, so just uh, querying this um, new novel. It's called Waves of Burden. It's about um, a reluctant father-to-be who has to track down his older nomadic foster brother uh, before the ruthless criminal that he stole 100 grand from kills them both. And uh, it's set in San Diego also, and just kind of uh, it's a 
I, I think it's a really fun novel of uh, that explores this relationship between these adult foster brothers and also explores uh, the San Diego area and some of the misgivings we have right now, especially with our uh, bloated housing market and a couple other issues. But um, so I'm trying to find a good home for that. I find a, an agent to represent it. And then uh, I've written a few short stories, uh, got a, a, an acceptance not too long ago. And then um, I'm off to Left Coast Crime here in April and just trying to keep my name out there. So I appreciate you having me on to help me do that. Yeah, and Left Coast Crime, of course, uh, some of us from the show will be there. I know there's three of us that will be there anyway, and uh, that'll be interesting. Is it, is it, do, you, do, you, do you like going to those things? I do. Yeah, I really like Left Coast Crime. This will be my third one to go to, and uh, it's a great conference. It's real intimate, and get to see everybody and spend time with your friends and favorite authors. It's a really great time. And so, who do you, where do you get your influences from? Other authors, or do you get them from people and and places and things you've been around? Yeah, it's just a mix, you know. Uh, I'd say probably Dennis Lehane is my biggest writing influence. Uh, love all of his work. And then, honestly, right now there are just so many uh, great uh, writers on the scene that. I'm friends with or that uh, I look that I look up to that are in our scene like uh, S.A. Cosby and Kelly Garrett, and Jordan Harper. I mean, there's so many great writers right now, and so there's great influences all around. And and you're supposed to say Michael Hawley and yeah, and Michael Hawley. <laughs> there you go. Alan now Curtis, that's great. Yeah, you know, you got you got to always bring in the host and go. Well, of course, you know, uh, your book there that did it for me. Yeah. See, yeah. you can edit that in, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, that's like that was the best I ever read. You know? so, where do you get your little characters from? Like, do you, do you go out to like coffee shops, or you're driving around and you see something, and you kind of go, "Oh, that person's an interesting personality," and you sort of absorb that into a character. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm th- I think as, uh, I think all reporters are, are people watchers and you just watch people and their characteristics and their mannerisms. And yeah. I'd soak all of that in. And San Diego is great for that. I mean, there's so many unique people here and, you know, so many different walks of life. So you get a great, great diversity and great opportunities, you know, whether that's at the beach or hiking or, you know, at a ball game, or I mean, it's just the city's just rife with inspiration. Inspiration. Where Where do people find you? Um, website. Um, let's give that out. Yeah, you can find me on my website, curtisippolito.com, and I'm on Twitter uh, at curtis9980, and Instagram also curtis underscore sd for San Diego. Find me any any of those places. Well, fantastic. Okay, so now we've got all that. We'll put that up on the website, and uh, we'll give it a go and stuff. So good luck on on, on the future, and, and uh, glad you made the show. It's, uh, it's a very interesting book, so good. Well, thanks so much, Alan. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, this was a, a lot of fun. Fantastic. Great speaking with you, Curtis. Yeah, great to speak with you, too. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.
Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.